If you would take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. I had the joy, actually, of making a hospital visit um, just the other day, was able to uh, go into Baptist Hospital, and they haven't been allowing pastors to do that for quite some time, and it was just a joy to at least get that one little aspect of ministry back to normal, and uh, I'm glad. I hope that that trend continues, but uh, as, um, as probably one thing that as a pastor that I have hated the most about this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is that um, it has caused an isolation between the shepherd and the sheep. And it's just been hard to stay close and to stay in touch. And uh, I know pastoring is something that is very much at the depths of my heart. Uh, I don't consider myself um, a very good preacher, but I do know from my heart that I love my flock and I love you and um, that much of my ministry is a byproduct of that heart and love for the people that God's entrusted me with. But I've noticed that people have had a lot of struggles here the last year, and really we could go back uh, for the preceding couple of years before And I've noticed that mental, emotional, and all kinds of struggles, trials, and troubles have become way too characteristic among God's people. I know that often our struggles are because of physiological problems that we go through, health crisis, and uh, the resulting effects of medication. I understand that that can have uh, an emotional and mental effect on our lives, I know that a lot of it can be circumstantial, whether it be relationships in our life that are not the way that they ought to be. It can be through economic problems and challenges. Uh, I know that there's also supernatural things that are going on around us, oppression and Satan attacking. Uh, I talked to a brother in Christ uh, just the other day, and he said, he said, Pastor, he said, this has been unprecedented in, uh, in my, my wife and I's life, it just seems like that from every direction, Satan is just attacking us. And I've talked to so many people here of late that would say amen to that. I, I can understand. I can relate because they've been going through the same things. And then you add to that the emotional and mental crisis that follows behavioral problems, making unwise decisions, committing sins that always we reap what we sow. When we sin, we may get away with it in the eyes of man. We may even, and I use this term very lightly, we may get away with it in the eyes of God, meaning he may not judge us immediately or chasten us immediately. But the, the problem sometimes is God's chastening is sometimes just backing off and letting us create our own sorrow and misery. And so people are struggling today. And we find here in the book of Philippians, chapter number 2, if you'll read with me in verse number 1, the Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The message this morning is simply titled, The Psychology of the Savior. The Apostle Paul, if you'll notice here, he's speaking to believers, and he's speaking about our mental and our emotional health, but verse number 5 makes it clear that Paul is not attempting to be a guru or a therapist. He is simply pointing us toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time together. Father in heaven, it's good to be in your house. It's good to be saved. It's good to open up the word of God and know that we have real answers for real problems. We pray now that you'd bless this time, help us to communicate clearly and concisely. Help us, Father, to stay on track and to not waste anyone's time. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take the things that are said here today and help people draw people to Christ. While this isn't a gospel message, particularly, Lord, uh, certainly it's got Christ in it, and uh, perhaps maybe someone would be listening that would hear what they need and recognize that what we all need is Jesus Christ. So God, it is our hope and our desire that we would point uh, each and every one of us toward Christ to deal with our problems, our sin problems, our mental and emotional problems. We pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and glorified. In his precious name we pray. Amen. According to U.S. News, in 2019, approximately 20% of Americans had some form of mental health disorder. Interestingly, the United States, of all the nations that have been... um, that have been... um, Uh, what's the word, Um, surveyed, Uh, the United States has one of the highest rates of mental health issues of any nation. I find that interesting that here is one nation under God founded on Christian principles, a nation that has enjoyed the blessings and prosperity uh, greater than any nation. I mean, you talk about a middle-class prosperity that is unprecedented in human history. We've enjoyed that here in America, and yet we are at the top of the list of mental and emotional health disorders. The accompanying statistics of drug and alcohol abuse, depression, suicide, unwed pregnancies, and dysfunction are completely related to the percentage and survey of the mental health issues. Folks, it all goes together. It's not shocking. Now, let me say this. While many people do not have mental health issues, we can look around and observe that people, as a general rule, are simply not happy. You go to any public place, grocery store, restaurant, and look around and look at the face and countenance of people, look at their eyes, and it's obvious that the overwhelming majority are simply not happy. You know what's even more sad than that? 
is to look out in a congregation, a Christian congregation, and to see faces and see here's people that are God's people that claim to be saved and we're just simply not happy. What exactly is psychology? Psychology is the study of the human mind and its functions, especially those affecting behavior in a given context. The difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is really one thing. A psychiatrist can give you drugs, whereas a psychologist can only give you advice. But both of them basically deal with the same issues, studying the human mind and behavior and trying to help people with their problems. And let me say this, I am not 100% against uh, psychology, psychiatry, or even uh, prescription help for some people. I'm not totally against that. And, and I find that in this day and age, you have to strongly preface what you say along this lines, lest someone get uh, either uh, feel guilty over something that they shouldn't feel guilty over. And uh, I understand that every case is different. So please, understand that this preacher understands that. Some people benefit from clinical therapy and psychology. Some people benefit from prescription treatment. But many people, and I could probably say most people, are simply suffering side effects. They're swapping one problem for another when the reality is they simply will not make necessary changes in their life that would fix the root problem. They want an easy fix. And whether it's psychology or religion, I see a lot of people approach religion with the same mentality as they approach the psychologist. Well, I came And I sat and I listened to you for an hour, so I should walk away and my problems are solved. It just simply doesn't work that way. There are a lot of people that don't need a prescription. What they need is they need some structure and some purpose and some schedule in their life. And in some cases, they just simply need to apply biblical principles of forgiveness all of these things that just build up in the heart and in the mind and they, 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 cl- they cloud our vision. They affect our emotions and our feelings. And some of those things have been there for so long that we feel trapped. We don't even, we don't even recognize them anymore. But we just read five verses in which Paul points us toward Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are some very helpful principles that we find here from God's Word. The first principle that I want to talk to you about is, number one, tempered emotions. Tempered emotions. Look with me at verse number one once again, where Paul says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, this verse is... It begins with a therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you should always back up and see what Paul is referring to. In this particular context, the therefore refers back to chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. Look at it with me together. In verse number 28 of chapter 1, Paul says, 
in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. What Paul's getting ready to say totally debunks the uh, prosperity gospel theory, and that's all it is, is it's, a, it's, it's really much less than a theory. It's a lie. So many people have been trained to think that, well, if I get saved or if I get right with God, if I make a visit to church, then God is just going to, he's going to wipe away my problems. My problems are going to be instantly solved. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, I've got news for you. If you get right with God, you may inherit some really serious problems that you've got to deal with that you were not prepared for. I understand that if I was a televangelist, if I'm on the radio and I were to tell you, hey, get saved and God will give you a bunch of problems, you're probably not going to send me a bunch of money. But you know what? I'd be telling you the truth. Now, the beauty of it, though, is you get saved and the real problems, the eternal problems are solved instantly. The sin problem, the suffering in hell problem, it's gone, and we don't have to worry about that. The death problem, it's the, the ones that are real in life, God fixes those instantly. But he doesn't make our life this bed of roses. Look at verse number 29. Paul says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. We don't like suffering, but it is given on behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake. And uh, we need to understand that it is an expected part of the Christian life. And the sooner that we accept it, then the sooner then that we can deal with the, um, with the problems of life that we have to deal with. Paul here is not reacting to his suffering. He's responding to his suffering. There's a difference, folks. When we react to suffering, I, I don't know how you react to your suffering, but I know how I normally react. Uh, first of all, I get miserable. Uh, generally, when I'm suffering, I crawl in a hole. Not a literal hole, but I would probably do that if it was comfortable enough. But I withdraw. I, I get in my cave and I just, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to withdraw. And I know many people are wired the same way. Others react to their suffering by trying to just to, to struggle through it, to try to overcome it, to try to fix it. And Boy, I've had times when I tried to fix my problems, and for every problem I tried to fix, I created three new ones. We all react differently, but Paul is teaching us, he's teaching the church at Philippi, don't react to your sufferings, don't react to your circumstances, respond. Because it's essential that we respond, we make a conscious decision, not to just let things, you know, the, the case Sarah, you've heard of Doris Day religion? Some of you young people don't even know who Doris Day was. K. 
Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You know, I, I've heard Christians deal with problems with this false sense of faith and just say, well, it must be the Lord's will. No, it's not. You still got to do something about it, right? You know, it's like, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't pay my bill and they're foreclosing on me. It must have been the Lord's will. No, pay your bill. So there is certainly an irresponsible uh, version of faith out there. But Paul is responding, not reacting. You know what some people think, back to my main point here, tempered emotions. Uh, some people think that being true to yourself means that I have to carry out whatever my feelings are. And folks, that is a lie from Satan himself. There are many, many feelings that we have that are not of God, and we would be very unwise to be true to our own feelings. The wise person understands two biblical laws when it comes to human emotions. Number one, feelings are deceptive. The Word of God makes that clear. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hey, I'm not going to trust someone that's deceitful and desperately wicked. Are you? Well, you wouldn't buy a car from someone that's deceitful and desperately wicked, would you? Say, I have. But you didn't do it on purpose. Why listen to someone that's deceitful and desperately wicked? And that is Bible law number one when it comes to human emotions. Number two, emotions are not supposed to lead us, but rather they are to be led. You know, God gave you emotions and they are not bad, they are good. And I know that as a general rule, and I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but along gender lines, ladies tend to be wired more emotionally. No man was uh, brave enough to say amen when I made that statement. But it's true. Ladies are wired more emotionally, and that is their strength, but it's also their weakness. And so we all have emotions. Emotions are great. I, I love when I am in prayer and God speaks to my heart and stirs my emotions. It is a joy when God shows up in a private prayer time and just touches your heart and, and a tear starts running down your cheek as you start thinking about the goodness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it in a church service when the special music is going on and it touches my emotions. We shouldn't be afraid of human emotions. We could use some more. We don't have to be afraid of that. Well, I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm just not like that. Yes, you are. How many, you know, hey, teenagers, are you listening to me, teenagers? I've heard teenagers say, well, I'm just quiet and I just don't like to talk. And then you see, you get around your buddies and your friends and you're like, and people look at you and it's like, I thought that person was shy. No, they just weren't comfortable around God's people. You know, some, everybody's got a switch. Everybody's got a trigger. Everybody's got something that paddles their boat. You know, when God's people 
get focused on the cross of Calvary and we sing those old hymns when I can read my title clear and we start thinking about it, guess what? It gets into our emotions. But the problem is that our emotions are so wrapped up in selfish things that we don't really worship the Lord like we should. Nothing wrong with emotions, but remember, emotions are supposed to be led, not lead. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse number 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In Bible days, the system was very feudalistic. You had castles, and you had armed men, and you had guards, and you had watches. Why? Because they lived among enemies, and they didn't have uh, the police force like what we have. And thank God that we have a police force. An imperfect police force, no doubt, because humans are all imperfect. But thank God for our police force, because there are nations out there. You know what? Last time I checked, our current administration is trying to build a wall to keep people in Mexico from coming into America, not to keep Americans from going to Mexico. That's, this is no knock on Mexicans. Don't get un- uncomfortable with me. But the reality of it is, is that People who live in Mexico sometimes have to fear for their life. People get shot. People get murdered. People get held hostage. Why is that? Because they have a corrupt police force. We should be thankful for the blessing of the police force that we have. Now, I didn't even think about that or prepare for that. It's not in my notes, but you know what? It was just there because it needed to be there. Pray for our police officers. They need our prayer. They need our support. But the problem is that people are not ruling over their own spirit. As God's people, if anyone, if anyone is controlling and tempering, you know, that, that picture when I gave you that point on tempered emotions, it shows that, that uh, anvil and that hammer and that fire that's heated up that metal. You know, sometimes we think, and I use that word tempered for a specific reason. I didn't use the word control because there are some emotions that are impossible to control. Hey, I've had times where something made me angry and I couldn't just switch it off. I had to, you know, the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. It takes me some time when I get stirred up to sometimes get my emotions calm and settle down. And I've got some things that I've tried to put in practice in my life to, to keep me from making things worse. You know, like bite your tongue, don't say anything. And that's a biblical principle. Some people would say, well, I'm not being true to myself. I, if, if I think it, if I feel it, I should say it. Otherwise, I'm being dishonest. No, you're not. You're being a fool. A fool uttereth all his mind, the Bible says. And so these two biblical laws, they, when, we, when it comes to tempered emotions, we always need to remember those two biblical laws because they are, uh, technically speaking, they are laws. You cannot go around them. That is the way that we are made. God knows it and God 
Uh, God gave it to us so that we could understand it. Now, in verse number one, and I've got to move quickly here, there is a process that I call the four C's. And, you know, the, the mental and emotional struggles that we go through, uh, we need to remember that it's always a process. There is no instant quick fix. Uh, there isn't, um, you know, like Neverland where, you know, the, the fairy sprinkles some magic dust on you and you have your happy thoughts and all of a sudden you can fly. That doesn't exist. There is a process Uh, You know, faith is a process. Faith is like a muscle, and it has to be exercised, and it has to be it has to grow, it has to be tested. And sometimes those testings mean that we have failures. But how many times in my life has a failed test been exactly what I needed to learn something permanently and lasting? You know, when when we just breeze through a test, sometimes we don't really learn the things that we need to learn. And so those victories, the the hardest fought victories are the ones that are the more enjoyed and the ones that have the most endurance. Process of four C's. Look at verse number one. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. The first C is consolation in Christ. The term consolation... I, 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 read, um, I read what Spurgeon had to say about this particular verse, and he had something that really struck me as profound. He, he basically said that this is a term that uh, Adam would not have known in the Garden of Eden. What would Adam need consolation? There was no suffering. There was no failure. He didn't need any consolation. And yet this is a term that we are practically daily familiar with. Spurgeon went on to say this, and I quote, Oh, how has our language been swollen through the floods of our griefs and tribulations? It was not sufficiently wide and wild for man when he was driven out of the garden into the wide, wide world. After he had once eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as his knowledge was extended so must the language be by which he could express his thoughts and feelings. The term consolation was unknown in the garden, but after the garden, don't you know that when God gave the consolation that one day the serpent bruiser would come, don't you know that that brought some joy into Adam's broken heart? Don't you know that brought some sunshine into Adam's depression when he realized that, hey, I have blown it big time. I have messed things up for myself, for my wife, for the human race. But God has provided a consolation in Christ. He has bruised your heel, but one day God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to bruise his head. That's talking about Calvary's cross. There is consolation in Christ. I remember the carnivals as a kid. We had a state fair in Boise, Idaho, and not to mention the state fair, but uh, you remember when they would set up a little traveling carnival in the parking lot of a grocery store, and, and we'd go and ride those rides. Weren't we dumb? I mean, the people that take your tickets are the ones that assembled the ride. We were idiots. 
But I, you know, I heard of people getting hurt. I never got hurt. Uh, and most of those smaller rides, they really weren't as thrilling as Carowinds and the big roller coasters. They were just rides that basically just kind of shook your guts up really good. <laughs> That's about all they did. <laughs> but I, w- I would always be intrigued by where you could throw the ring toss or you could throw the ball and knock down the milk bottles and try to win that great big huge prize big teddy bear and you know what my i know that the games were rigged and more often than not i never won the big teddy bear you'd see people walking through the carnival you know see the the guy that holding the big teddy bear and you think oh man i want to go do that but i always ended up with the consolation prize which was about the equivalent of a Happy Meal toy. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> Sometimes we think of consolation as not much. But notice that Paul said that our consolation is in Christ. Folks, what a great consolation. Have you made a mess of your life? Have you failed? Are you struggling? There's consolation in Christ. Christ died for our sins. He died for our griefs, our failures, our troubles, our shame. All that we need emotionally and mentally, we can find that consolation in Christ. Notice the second thing, the second C in verse number one, we find the comfort of love. I know that God is not always pleased with my behavior. I know that my performance very seldom ever meets his expectations. He doesn't always approve of me, but I know from the Word of God that nothing can separate me from his love. And so I find comfort in the love of God. You know, the things that we're going through, God turns around and in his time when we are ready, He provides the comfort that we need. And there's a reason and there's a purpose behind that. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, where Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which have any trouble. You know, God is, God brings us through things, not so that they could be wasted on us, but so that we in turn can help other people with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. How many times have I went through a trial and a trouble? And um, as I mentioned before, my nature is to just crawl in a hole and withdraw. And I've had times where it's like, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of this hole. I gotta crawl out of this cave. I think I, I got a preacher friend. I'll call and just talk to him. And you know, I'm not gonna whine and complain to him, but maybe it'll come up and I can share this burden and this trial. And how many times have I talked to a fellow pastor and shared my problem? only to find out that they were going through the same thing or that they had just went through the same thing. And while they didn't necessarily have any 
quick fix answers. I found it so comforting, that comfort of love, that here's somebody that at least understands what I'm going through. Do you know that whatever we go through, the Bible tells us that Jesus understands? That Jesus doesn't understand. You know, the only way that Jesus understands our guilt and shame is he felt it on Calvary's cross. He did feel it, by the way. And the Bible says that he was tempted in all points as you and I, yet without sin. He can, he's not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have a Savior that feels and understands what we go through, and we can go to him, and he will provide that comfort of love. God's love is one constant in all of our lives. I think back to my childhood, and I think about how that while I had wonderful Christian parents, and they loved me and my family, and and I loved them dearly, and I miss them dearly. Uh, I wasn't blessed like many of you to be able to enjoy having my father around in up into my 40s and 50s. He died while I was relatively young, and I've missed him ever since. But as I look back at my childhood, we we really had an unstable environment. Dad would go from job to job, and and then uh, we would move from town to town and house to house. And I look back, and while as a child I didn't really understand what what all I was feeling, I just you know I trusted my mom and dad. But the residual effect is that as I went into marriage and raising my own kids, I found that insecurity was something that became a major struggle. I had to learn how to deal with insecurity. And the reason being is I had an entire childhood where I would get adjusted and accustomed. I'd have friends. I'd get used to this. I'd be on a sports team. And frequently, on an average, every year, year and a half, something would change in our life. Now, I know that my parents didn't do that intentionally, and, and I know that God's grace has been sufficient, but you know what? We all have different things. You might have lived in one house your whole life and yet still experienced constant change around you. It's not always the geographical location. Sometimes it's the emotional makeup of your parents or just maybe the circumstances of your life. But in all of the problems that we go through and all of the changes that go on around us that we have no control over, I want to make sure that we all understand that there is one constant in life, and that is the love of God. Romans says that nothing can separate us from it. Nothing, not height, not depth, not any creature, including ourselves, can separate us from the comfort of the love of God. The third C that we find in verse number one is the companionship, the fellowship of the Spirit. We were um, we were at the beach uh, this past uh, week and uh, did some had some great days of fishing. I, I love fishing on the surf. It's one of the things I look forward to every single year. Um, Anna's my fishing buddy, and we enjoyed, we had some days where we both caught some really nice fish, and uh, there was one particular day where the fishing was just really lousy, nothing was going on, and so when the fishing's good, I don't even sit down in my, my chair, it's just, it's 
you know, baiting this hook and kept reeling this one in. And for every good fish that you're catching, you're catching little ones that are just eating at your bait. But anyhow, make a long story short, we're sitting here, nothing's going on with the fishing poles. And about maybe 25, 30 yards away, there's two uh, middle-aged couples that are sitting over there and they're, they got their chairs all facing each other and they sit there for hours. And I, I couldn't hear what was being said because I'm half deaf. My wife should say amen to that. But I couldn't hear what was being said, but I noticed one particular gentleman was just just really loud and talking and talking and talking. And I thought, well, they looked like they were middle-aged. And I thought, it just didn't seem like it fit right because mar- people that have been married for a long time don't just talk that much. <laughs> you ever notice that? Go to a restaurant and see a older couple sitting there, and they're just, they're, they're just happy to be with each other, but nobody's saying a word. The way it ought to be. <laughs> My wife's like, no. <laughs> but it just didn't seem right. And my wife was able to overhear some of the stuff that was being said. She said, you know, that those people, they, I heard them talking, and they just met. They just met, like, just on the way out to the beach and said, hey, let's hang out together. And I thought, that is weird. <laughs> I mean, why would I want to hang out all afternoon with somebody I don't know? You know, that, that certainly would be weird to me. But, you know, there are people that that's just... They, they just have this social need where they always have to have friends. And you know what? Socializing is good. But socializing is no substitute for worship and a relationship with Christ. I enjoy fellowshipping with God's people. As I mentioned earlier, I have missed a lot of it because of this pandemic. I'm looking forward to getting back to normal. I have missed that, and I enjoy it, but I'm not a kind of person that just has to constantly have people in my life. And you know what? If we're not careful, the constant need for socializing can crowd out and distract our life, and we don't end up actually fellowshipping with the Spirit. Hey, I I enjoy church. I, I enjoy listening to preaching. I enjoy preaching. But... The best times that I have in fellowshipping in the Spirit is just simply private times all alone, just talking to God and opening up my heart and letting Him know what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, things He already knows, but He wants to hear. Why? Because I'm His child. I'm a son of God, and He's my Father. And he cares, and he wants to know, and he wants to—he wants me to know that he cares, and he wants you the same. You know what, folks? What we need among Christians today is a desire to have some fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Notice here now the fourth C, and I—I I may make this a two-parter because I don't want to rush this one. But number four, notice this phrase here, bowels and mercies. The fourth C that I have is Christian charity. And that term bowels, let me say this, that it's not referring to any digestive organ. All right? I know a lot of people that are unfamiliar with the Bible, they come across this bowels and mercies, and it appears several times in the Word of God, and they're like, what? 
I mean, they're thinking of Metamucil or something. I, I, I don't know, but, but we, all have, uh, we, we all have ideas that come to our mind, but it is not referring to any digestive organ. The root word of the term bowel comes from the same word as bowl, like a cereal bowl, like Jethro's cereal bowl. And, and, it's, and it's talking about this cavity or this bowl of our abdomen. Some people's bowls are bigger than others. But it's talking about this area right here where all of the nerve endings in this part of our abdomen is where we feel, where our emotions are felt. You know, we give the heart too much credit for our emotions. And I understand, and and the heart is not just talking about the physical organ that pumps blood. But all of this in this abdomen cavity, when we feel fear, when we feel stress and anxiety, when we feel joy, it's all of the nerve endings in this area where we feel those. And when Paul is saying bowels and mercies, he's talking about this cavity of the abdomen where our emotions are felt. Have you ever noticed or experienced this just refreshing feeling of peace and emptiness when you get things right with God? Oh, I remember when I first got right with the Lord and, and, and there was just that emptiness and peace that I couldn't explain and it just felt so refreshing because all this burden that I was feeling right here in this abdomen, it was just lifted and it just felt, I felt so free. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. At times when I have obeyed the Lord, when I didn't want to, and the, the uh, consequential feeling in this bowl or cavity of just feeling so light and lifted and at peace inside. When we don't have that peace inside, it affects us physically. Hey, people get ulcers. People get all kinds of problems in here because we don't have these bowels and mercies that the Lord wants us to have. It's so refreshing when you go through a trial. And I've had times where I just had an oppression and a trial and wake up one morning out of the blue, not even for any circumstance or reason, just out of the blue and just feel that, that oppression lifted. And it's just like, wow. The birds are singing. You walk out the back porch and just the air seems so crisp and fresh and you feel so alive, whereas nothing had changed in 24 hours, but the morning before, you open the door and it's like, oh. You know, some mornings you wake up and you say, good morning, Lord. And other times you say, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) Bowels and mercies. This is the psychology of the Savior, allowing the principles of the cross of Calvary, the consolation of Christ, the fellowship with the Spirit, the comfort of love, allowing those to affect and infect 
our feelings and our emotions, that is what the Christian life, that is what we, that's the therapy that we need, folks. The therapy that comes from our Savior, not from a psychologist. You know, the kind of church member that is needed is not the one who comes to church and focuses on how the service makes them feel. What we need is true Christians that focus on, hey, how am I making others feel around me? You know, that's what Christ was conscious of. Christ never went through a crowd and wondered, how they, how are you making me feel? Are you accepting me? Are you rejecting me? Christ never got around his disciples and was all worried, are you mad at me? Did I say something? I... He wasn't worried about how they were making him feel. He was totally focused on how am I making others around me feel? And I guarantee you, while there were times, and it was on a rare occasion when the disciples, when Jesus didn't necessarily make them feel so good, times when he would say, hey, where's your faith? What's wrong with you? Get thee behind me, Satan. There were times where they needed that. And he was, he loved them enough to tell them the truth. But I guarantee you for every one of those times, there was easily a thousand times when people would get around him and he would say, well, oh, that's the conclusion of my lesson. And they'd be going, no, tell us more, tell us more. I mean, think about the two on the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking and talking with them. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? Hey, Jesus is our counselor. Jesus is the one who will is conscious and worried about how he's making others feel. He would never come to a church service with his antennas up. It's like, okay, here I am. How are you going to make me feel? Well, I just don't feel like I fit in around there. Well, that's your problem, not everybody else's. Now, let me, pre- let me just say something. I know there are churches that aren't friendly. And I know there are Christians that you get a bunch of people in a building and they're all in the same mindset of how you're going to make me feel. Well, yeah, nobody's going to make anybody feel good. But we need to fix that. We need to fix that. This is the family of God. This is the house of God. Hey, you know what? This principle will apply in your marriage. This Christian principle will apply with your children. Instead of focusing on what do I get out of it, focus on what can I give. And you know what? When we start thinking that way, all of a sudden this wonderful thing starts happening in our life. We start becoming happy. I talked to a brother just the other day who was going through a rough rough trial. I mean, a rough trial. And uh, he was at a hospital, and there was a mother and a little 12-year-old girl that were being treated. The little 12-year-old girl was being treated for cancer. And this brother looked at this little 12-year-old girl, and his heart was broken and touched for her. And he walked up and he said, ma'am, could I pray with you and your daughter? And they said, absolutely, sure. Now I know this brother and this is not a this is not one of these guys that walks into a room and is just uh Mr. Bubbly and take over the conversation. This is a very typical man who's just minds his own business and yet he was so touched that he would get out of his comfort zone 
and pray with a complete stranger. That's the kind of Christian charity, the bowels and mercies of allowing ourselves to be affected by other people's sufferings and shedding a tear and saying a word of prayer. Those are the kind of things that will help us through our own psychological, if you will, mental and emotional troubles that we go through. And uh, what we need to do is we need to incorporate those four C's that we find in verse number one. I've got some other points that perhaps we'll preach next week, some things that I believe are helpful that are found in this passage on the psychology of the Savior. But let me ask you here in closing, would you search your heart and say, Lord, am I leading my feelings or am I letting my feelings lead me? Are you focusing on the consolation and the comfort that is found in Christ or are you just simply letting your emotions run wild like a stallion and going wherever they want to go and your behavior and your life just following them? We need to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and we need to start listening to him rather than our own feelings.